morning. Glad that you're here with us today in the house of the Lord. It's our prayer that we would hear from the living God. He's a God who does still speak to us. He's a God who has imparted to us, lavished upon us wisdom and insight. Wisdom and insight to understand what God says. What other God does that? There is no other God. That's why. There is only one God. His name is Jesus. Well, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through 14. I ask that you would stand with me as we would pray, and then we would read God's most holy word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have promised that you would show us Christ through the preaching of your word. And we ask, Lord God, that you would indeed plant your word deep inside us. Cause it to bear fruit. I would pray again, Lord God, that if anybody here does not know the living God and true saving faith, that today would be the day of salvation. That hearts would not be hardened, but they would rather receive the indescribable gift of God in Christ Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what God says to us today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory." In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You may be seated. Last Sunday, as we began to look at this incredibly rich and soul-stirring passage of Scripture, we were reminded that we are to be careful very, very careful with this passage. That we're not to let it move us just on an emotional level. That we are to be purposeful in studying God's Word always, not just this passage, any passage of God's Word. That we're going to take our time to study the words of Scripture. The words of Scripture matter. What they mean in the Greek and the Hebrew matter to us. Are we all called to be Greek and Hebrew scholars? No, that's why God gave some to be pastors and teachers. But we are to do our due diligence of studying God's Word. And that's what we've been doing in this study. 
If you remember from last week as we began, we saw in this passage there's three things that salvation is planned, salvation is purchased, and salvation is preserved. Last week as we looked at the fact that salvation was planned by God before the world was even created, a truth that has been the subject of controversy for centuries. I don't know why it's such a controversy. It is a truth clearly laid out in God's Word that God chose you. You did nothing. You added nothing. God chose you from before the world was ever created. Did you do it out of your own free will? Yes, but God gave you the ability to choose Him. In other words, you have never chosen Him. Um, and, and, and we're not going to go down that again. You can go onto our website and watch the sermon from last week or listen to it. But I, I want to share a quote from Ian Hamilton, who, as I told you last week, is just absolutely fantastic. Ian Hamilton is just a great theologian, a great speaker. Uh, uh, he's with Legionnaire Ministries. But he has this to say about the subject of God's sovereign choice of salvation. And here, I think, is the great balance for us, how we should look at it. He says this, The Christian's concern should not be how to puzzle through the mysteries of God's sovereignty, but to bow in worship before the sovereign God who loves us and gave His own Son for us. And listen to this, Divine sovereignty is never presented to us in the Bible as a puzzle to solve but a comfort to cherish. Boy, I love that. Divine sovereignty is never presented to us in the Bible as a puzzle to solve, but a comfort to cherish. As I said, you can log on to our website for last week's sermons. If you have any questions about it, any concerns, maybe you're new to the doctrine of election and understanding and it rubs you the wrong way or you don't understand it, please come, talk to myself, Talk to any of our pastors. We would love to come alongside you and explain to you how God's Word lays out this, this truth. It's, it's a truth. Today we will turn our attention to the fact that salvation was purchased by God. And how fitting on Communion Sunday. I didn't plan that out. I'm not smart enough to do that. But God is. But God is. We'll begin in verse 7 today. This is what he says about our salvation is purchased. It says in verse 7, In Him we have redemption through the blood, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Him, remember that phrase, in Him, means in Jesus or in God. We have redemption through the blood, and that results in the forgiveness of our trespasses. Three very important words right there. Redemption, forgiveness, and trespass. What do they mean? Redemption. Apolytrosis. Release by payment of ransom. Deliverance by payment. We understand that concept. Somebody's kidnapped. There's a ransom. We've never been kidnapped. We were lost in our own sins. Forgiveness. Ephesus. Pardon. Liberty. Or setting free. And trespasses is the Greek word paratoma. 
sin, offense, failure, wrongdoing, stumbling. And this word trespasses covers all of a person's sins. The sin that was passed down to us from our father Adam. The sins of omission, the things we don't do that we should have done. The sins of commission, the things that we've done that we should not have done. Every sin, every single person who has been born needs to be redeemed from their sins. Every single person who has ever been born has trespassed against God. Let me ask the question, why do I need redemption? Romans 3.23 tells us, For all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in trouble. All of us have sinned against God. Remember that God is holy. And God cannot tolerate sin. Will not tolerate sin. He is going to return one day to pronounce judgment on those who have rejected Him and to receive into glory those who have received Him. We must deal with the sin issue in our lives. We must deal with it. It is, it is something that you should not delay. It is something we should contemplate, we should consider. Because the cost is just way too high. For the scripture tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin, the wages, the price of sin is death. Death. We're all going to die, so what are you talking about? No, we're talking about a death that is eternal. A death that results in being outside the presence of God for all of eternity. It is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to somebody. No matter what has happened to you in your life, and I am not trying to downplay any horrible thing that has happened to anybody in their life. Horrible things happen in this world. People are evil. But the worst thing that can happen to any human being is to stand before God one day, and you all will, I will, and hear the words from the Lord Jesus Christ, Depart from me, I never knew you. The worst thing that could happen to you is that. And God, in Christ Jesus, has given us the ability to not let the worst thing possibly happen to us. That's why you need to be ransomed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why must I be ransomed through blood? Do you ever think about blood? We always say the death of Christ. Surely the death of Christ. That's true. But it's the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ makes all the difference. In the Passover, when God was delivering the children out of Israel, what did He say would keep the angel of death from touching them? Touching their firstborn. The blood on the doorposts. It was the blood. Why blood? Why is it so important that it has to be blood? Why couldn't I put a, a rich cracker in front of my house? Right? Why? Well, God tells us in Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, on, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Why blood? 
Because God said that's how it's going to be. That's why. And us being separated from God because of sin, we're under the just wrath of God. The wrath of God, as I said, is death for all of eternity. The person who remains under the wrath of God, who hardens their heart at the hearing of the word of God, has no hope of eternal life. No hope of eternal life. Later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes this in chapter 2, in verses 1 and 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Under the just wrath of God. We are blessed in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are blessed because the blood of Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. The wrath of God, now satisfied, we sing. It is the blood of Jesus that rescues a person from the wrath of God. That was God's plan from the foundation of the world. That God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together, purposing to redeem humanity, whom they have not yet even created, but knowing because they created them, they are going to rebel against God, said we are going to make a way in which to redeem them because we cannot disown ourselves. The penalty for sin is death. God's not going to change on it. The penalty is in place. Humans sin against God. What are they to do? They can't save themselves. They can't pay for their sins. How can you atone for your own sins in front of a holy God? How can you achieve holiness? You cannot. I cannot. The only way is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is by His blood that we have eternal redemption. How does that work in God's plan? He said there had to be a a, a redemption, a buying back. And it had to be through blood. Who's paid off here? Who's getting paid? It's a good question, isn't it? In short, it's just simply this. God paid Himself with Himself. God paid Himself with Himself. Because only God can satisfy the demands of holiness. Only God can. Loved ones, let that truth ring in your hearts. Only God can satisfy the wrath of God. And He has for you and I in Christ Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood. And as I said, it's a plan that was from the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever created, we wrote, we read, and we studied, and we know the truth that God chose us. The plan was always in what we call the covenant of redemption, that the Father was going to send the Son. The Son is going to take on human flesh, the only person of the Trinity to take on such a characteristic. Become like us. 
to join us on Sunday nights in the study of Leviticus. Because this is where it's so important when the priest puts his hands on the head of the scapegoat and confesses the sins of the nation, confesses his own sins, and that goat is sent off to die. That is Jesus. Jesus took on flesh, identifies with us, takes on our sins, sheds his blood on the cross for you and I so that we would not face the wrath of God. And he did so. He planned so before the world was ever created. John, seeing a vision of heaven, writes this. Yeah, it's the King James Version. I know you guys are shocked that I used it. John looked up at me right, whoa, what? <laughs> the King James Version, I think, says it correctly. Revelation 13, 8. And all who dwell on the earth shall worship him. That is the beast. Why will they worship him? Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In time and space, God had His plan in eternity past. In time and space, in history, Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus, born of a virgin, born under the law. And what did the angel say to Mary? He will save His people from their sins. And Jesus at just the right time, in the fullness of time, comes to the Jordan River. And there is his cousin, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist sees him. And what does John say? And the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, as Paul says in Corinthians, is our Passover Lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And so when we read in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, we understand what he's writing when he says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus, as it were, did he actually walk into heaven with blood? No. But we know that the high priest, once a year, would walk in to the Holy of Holies with a bowl full of blood, not his own. And he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it on the Holy of Holies, the seat of which God himself resided. And Jesus enters into heaven by the means of his own blood. And he sits down at the right hand of the Father. No more sacrifice needs to be made. The perfect sacrifice has been Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. And that's exactly what Paul means when he writes later on in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What's the dividing wall of hostility between God and man? God is at enmity with you, and you are at enmity with God. In our unrepentant state, we are at enmity with God. But in Christ Jesus, God has removed the enmity 
We've been drawn near to God. God has drawn us near that by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in an ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And because of the blood of Christ, God is no longer angry. The wrath of God is satisfied. But it is only good for those who by faith believe that. You reject that, you stand under the wrath of God. As Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, Therefore, since we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. It is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. This is the message. This is the message that has not changed. It hasn't changed from the time, it hasn't changed from the time of Adam in Genesis 3.15, and it's never going to change. It is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have peace with God because we are saved from the wrath of God. As Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You will not have peace with God in any other way other than through the Lord Jesus Christ. Try to be as good a person as you want. Give as much money as you want. Say, I'm not going to this and say, I'm not going to that. And everybody that tells you I'm a good person, no, you're not. You are a horrible person because there's only one good person. His name is Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And I would ask you today, I don't know everybody, Maybe I've known you for a long time. Maybe you've been coming here. But are you at peace with God? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you honestly come to God for the forgiveness of your sins? If not, why? It is so rich and it is so free. He desires to give it. But you must come humbly before God and say, I have sinned. As the prodigal said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And what does the prodigal's father do? Get the fatted calf. Get the best clothes. Let's go. That part, that part of your life, it's done and over. Let's go. We're going to party. We're going to have a good time here. You're back in peace with me in my good graces. And how has this redemption been given to us? How has it been given to us who are in Christ Jesus? Look again at what verse 7 says. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. There is no end to the riches of God's grace. God's grace is an endless well of love and mercy in Christ Jesus. God, it says, has lavished this grace upon us. Look at what it says in verse 8. Which He, referring to the riches of His grace, He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What do you think of when you see the word lavished? You think of somebody living. You know, I, actually, I, I think of, uh, of, of old Artaxerxes having his big party in Esther, right? Furniture made of gold and silver and all. Like, it's like, wow, it's super posh. Like, the, he just lavished uh, food. He lavished the wine on him. Just, it's an over and abundance. Well, what's the word mean? 
The word actually matters. The word lavish is perisio. It means to abound, to have such an abundance as to be more than sufficient. God's riches to us in Christ Jesus are more than sufficient. God's grace, it is so vast that we cannot fully comprehend it. But we can know what God has revealed to us. The scripture tells us the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things He has revealed belong to us and to our children. And we can know it, it says, deeply. And we can know God's truth richly because He has lavished it upon us in God, in Christ Jesus. He has given us wisdom and insight. That's what it says in verse 8, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What does that mean? Well, we'll go to our good friend Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, what the apostle is saying, therefore, is that the riches of God's grace towards us, listen to this, have not stopped at the matter of forgiveness. The riches of God's grace towards us have not stopped at the matter of forgiveness. And guess what? That would have been enough, wouldn't it? Wouldn't forgiveness be enough? But have so abounded that they have brought us to something further. Namely, the wisdom and prudence that are absolutely necessary to a knowledge of the mystery of God's will and of His eternal purpose in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, God has lavished upon us wisdom and insight to know this book right here. To know this book right here. The word wisdom, Sophia, knowledge which makes possible skillful activity or performance, specialized knowledge or skill. It's only those who are in Christ Jesus that actually have a capacity to understand God's Word. There are scholars out there, supposed scholars, who can quote God's Word can tell you how things connect. When I was in Israel many, many years ago, our tour guide could quote Scripture like you wouldn't believe, but he was as pagan as you can get. I actually felt ashamed of myself. But he didn't have wisdom and insight. He had it in his mind, but he did not have it in his heart. God gives us the insight of the heart. Insight from Nisus. Capacity for understanding. Loved ones, if you are in Christ Jesus, saved from the wrath of God because of the blood of Christ, you are in Christ Jesus, and He has given you and I the ability, the capacity. He has skillfully given us the ability, the capacity to understand the mystery of God's will. Isn't that what it says in verse 9? Making known to us, the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. The word mystery, mysterion, you know what it means? It means mystery. There you go. <laughs> Again, we go to our good friend Martin Lloyd-Jones. The word mystery in the New Testament does not mean something that is incomprehensible. Understand that. 
The word mystery in the New Testament does not mean something that is incomprehensible to the human mind. But it is rather something that is undiscoverable by the unaided human mind. In other words, without the Holy Spirit, you are unable to understand the mysteries of God's will. To us have been known, been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. This mystery is the will and purpose of God as set forth in Christ. That's what it says in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. The mystery of which we are given wisdom and insight to understand and to know is found for us in verse 10. What is the mystery of God? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. What's the mystery of God? To unite all things. All things, because it's a plan from the fullness of time, things in heaven and things on earth. Well, let's look at the word unite before we go any further. Anakonophileo means to unite together again. To unite together again. Not just unite, as if we're being reunited for the first time. To unite together again. You go to the book of Genesis, and you see a river, and you see a tree. The tree of life is in, the, in there. Eden was what man lived in. Adam and Eve lived in Eden, and they wrecked it. Their sin was transferred to you and I. We go to the book of Revelation at the end of time. What's in heaven? A river, the river of life. What is that there? It's the tree of life. God is going to make all things new, and all making all things new, He's going to restore to us Eden. That's what he's going to do. He's going to reunite all things in him. As Paul, writing to the church in Colossians, says this in Colossians 1.20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. It is again through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are reconciled to God, that all things will be made new for us. God, through Jesus Christ, is going to one day, we do not know that day or that hour, and anybody tells you this is the day that Jesus is going to return, history is littered with people who've done so, right? Don't believe them. Nobody has a word of insight from God on this. Nobody, no, 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 no. Are we closer now than ever before? Yes. Why? Because time has marched on. That's why. He's going, to la he's going to reconcile the world to himself. It is this truth. It is this truth of which God has lavished upon his children wisdom and insight. It is this plan that is laid out in the pages of Scripture. It is to comprehend through the working of the Holy Spirit who guides us in all truth. God wants us to know how great our salvation really is. God wants us to know the plan that He has from the foundation of the world. He has given us His Word to study and to know. The Bible is a book 
about God setting forth His plan in the fullness of time in Christ Jesus. Who created the world? Jesus created the world. Who redeems the world? Jesus redeems the world. Who is going to come back and redeem His church? Jesus is going to redeem His church. There you go. End to end. It's a book about Jesus. And God has given us, lavished upon us, wisdom and insight to understand what this book says. How dare we neglect this book? How dare we neglect such great a salvation that that God has given to us? It is this book. It is this book and this book alone which tells us how to be wise for salvation. Is that not what Paul said to Timothy? He writes this in 2 Timothy 3.15. And Timothy, how from childhood you have been equated with the sacred writings, which is for them that was the Torah, uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Mystery of God. The mystery, not something that can't be comprehended, only the unaided mind cannot comprehend it, but the mind aided by the leading of the Holy Spirit because someone has confessed faith in the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins is able to comprehend this book. The mystery of God is laid out for us in the pages of Scripture. Jesus is the Word of God made manifest. And as I said, these scriptures are the plan of God from the fullness of time. We need to be diligent students of God's word because it equips us in how to be a Christian and how to live a life that is holy and blameless before him. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Scriptures we probably know well. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. First thing it says about God's word, he gave it. And the first aspect, it's profitable. It's profitable. Whoa, good. I can make money off it? No. It's not profitable. It's profitable in a far better way than money ever can be. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The lavished wisdom and insight that has been given to us to know salvation should cause us to be in a state of absolute awe as we behold the lavish grace of God towards us in Christ Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord, the Scripture tells us. That's the song of heaven, Revelation 7.10. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But it's not a song that is for heaven only. It's a song that is for here, today, right now. It is that song which is the peace that passes understanding. It is that song which gives me perspective in this world, gives me hope in this world. It is that song which is my anchor for the soul. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, tells them, this is what you are to do. You are to sing songs, make music and melody in your heart to the Lord. What do you think that song should be? How great our salvation is. What else could it possibly be? Oh, thank you, God. You provided for me a material thing. Oh, that's part of it. But you don't get that unless God provides for you the salvation first. Salvation is paramount. Sing songs and make melody in your heart to the Lord. How often do we really take time to contemplate 
our great salvation. How often do we actually really sit down as we read God's Word? And we may do it and we say, this is my routine every morning and I have a routine and the routines are good. Please don't stop routines. That's not what I'm saying. But do we just go through? Well, I have to because, you know. Oh, we have to because... You know, they make me do this at the hoving home. Oh, my parents make me, or they, whatever. And it just, they're all laughing because they do make them, and that's a good thing that they make you. That's a good discipline. But as we do it, do we stop and go, wow, how great is my God? How great is my God? that he would, before the world was ever created, plan to redeem me? 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 Well, of course, I know how great I am. Why would God not choose me? No. Paul says that. That doesn't exist at the cross. Well, it does exist at the cross. But for those who have that attitude, never go through the cross. Only those who say, Lord, remember me. I am unworthy. Come, enter into the joy of your master. It is a subject. Salvation is a subject which Peter tells us that angels long to look into. They can't be redeemed. They're fascinated by the fact that God would save humans. And so, loved ones, I would ask you, I would even plead with you, please make it a purpose of yours to join our Bible studies, to join our community groups, to attend evening service, because of these things, all we do is we search out the lavish grace of God in salvation as found in the Scriptures. God has lavished upon us wisdom and insight to do so. God's plan from the fullness of time is to unite all things in Himself. And we must make sure that we are ready now. We are ready for the return of Jesus. So that when Jesus returns, we bow willingly, not forcefully. We bow willingly, because we know that we have been set apart in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, and because we realize that truth, and we study that truth, and we cherish that truth, what do we do? We set apart Jesus Christ as holy in our hearts. Because God has made known to us the mystery of His plan. Let us have the mind of Christ in these matters, because He has lavished upon us the wisdom and the insight to do so. Christ is going to return one day. That is true. Guaranteed. We may be dead. We may be alive. We don't know what we're going to go through between today and the day Christ returns. None of us actually are guaranteed to actually make it out of this room alive. I'm not trying to be morbid, but I want to bring the truth again. None of you knows what's going on inside your heart right now. I could drop dead of a heart attack right now. You could. One blood clot will end your life. I'm not trying to be scared, make us scared, but it's just a fact. We have to ask ourselves, 
Am I ready for that moment? Am I able to enter into eternity with full confidence that I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? That I will stand before my God and the first thing I'm going to do is say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, for salvation belongs to the Lord. Or are you going to go in there not knowing what to say? We're seeing the full glory of Christ. You will have no choice but to fall on your face. And you won't say anything. God will say something. Depart from me. I never knew you. May it never be. May it never be. Loved ones, do not let these words come out of your mind. Do not think it's no big deal. I have tomorrow. I have time. Oh, God's a loving God. He understands. He, God's, you know, that's why Jesus died for all people to be saved. Everybody's going to heaven. That is simply not true. Scripture does not teach that truth. Are we ready to enter heaven? And if we're God's children, for in Christ Jesus, Jesus himself, make sure that you store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Do so by the diligent study of God's Word, stacking up those treasures of grace so that when you enter into His kingdom... Let me read for you Philippians. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind do we have as Christians? We have the mind of Christ Jesus. Is there a greater mind than Jesus's? I think Albert Einstein smarter than Jesus? No. Was he a smart man? Yeah. You take the smartest person you know. We, as believers, have the mind of Christ because God has lavished upon us in riches, in wisdom, in insight in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he did it to himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And here's the difference for all humans. We fall on either side of this category. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every human being will say and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The difference is, are you going to willingly do it, or are you going to be forced to do it? If you're forced, heaven is not for you. If you willingly do it, heaven and all of its pleasures forevermore are yours. That's why we study. That's why God has given us wisdom and insight to study the Word of God, which is the plan of the fullness of time in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. I hope I was clear, Lord God. I hope your word went forth and we heard from Christ. Lord, I pray that nobody here today would leave this room 
without acknowledging you in their hearts, confessing that they've sinned before a holy and a just God, believing in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he shed his blood for our sins, and they would put their faith in you, and their lives would be transformed, that they have a desire not for the things of this world, but for the things of Christ. And they would become diligent students of your word. For the glory of God, we ask it. Amen. Well, it is Communion Sunday. I ask the deacons, elders to come forward. As we said, it's by the blood of Christ that we have redemption and by the blood of Christ only. And it is his table. He paid for it with his own blood. So who can come to the table? All those who truly belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say truly, because you can take it. But if you don't really belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture is clear. You drink the judgment of God upon yourself. This is not something to be trifled with. The blood of Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, Those who treat as an unholy thing 